Welcome to The Truth In This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I have the privilege of being in conversation with a lifestyle and fashion photographer who specializes in combining color, light, and emotion to create beautiful, compelling imagery. Having started out as a painter, his unique perspective blends the use of vibrant color palettes with youthful, youthful optimism and painterly style that is both current and timeless. Please welcome Sean Scheidt. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. I appreciate it. It's good to thanks be here. For, thanks for coming on. Uh, we're going to talk about color a little bit. I can I can already see it because it's like, ah, okay. Uh, you read about vibrant color and all of that good stuff and light. It's like, look, we're going to talk about this. I don't shy away from it. <laughs> so we, before we get too deep and embedded, much like a tick into the conversation, uh, let's talk about where the story begins and you know what inspired you to go into like photography ultimately. I think there's two, so there's the funny answer, and then there's probably the true, true answer. But uh, the real answer, I think, is that uh, I, I really sucked at drawing people. Um, I was a lifelong sort of, you know, from, from as early as I can remember, uh, there was no other career path for me. I was always an artist. You know, mm -hmm. what are you? I, I sort of, I look at these people who have to decide at some point what they want to be when they grow up and think that sounds really stressful. Uh, I always sort of knew I was an artist, right? So I uh, was drawing and painting, and I, I went to an arts high school, uh, Patapsco uh, Center for the Arts uh, in Dundalk. Uh, sort of, you got the audition to get in, and it's this magnet program. It was like very second year of that magnet program. And um, it was during the course of that, I just always assumed I'd be a painter, I thought. Um, but then I realized, thanks, and bolstered by the fact that father wouldn't let me take a nude figure drawing class in high school. Uh, I, so I couldn't draw people and I never learned to draw people very well. Thanks, dad. Um, and I started then experimenting with photography simultaneously. They always do these intro photo courses at a certain point in high school. And so I, I sort of had a, a, a foot in that door and I loved documenting things. My life, my mom was an avid um, album keeper, you know, so photographs were always around me. But it wasn't until high school that I started incorporating photographic elements into my paintings mm -hmm. uh, through alternative processes, um, sometimes just painting on the negatives, but more often than not, using novel exposure techniques to put photos on canvas and then painting and applying things and doing these mixed media collages. And that really was predominantly where I, my focus was for, for a long period of time. My work wanted to be figurative. So I had to find a way to get figures in there despite not being able to draw them well. So I don't, it wasn't until I think probably midway through college or the end of college that I started to appreciate the photograph on its own yeah. uh, without any um, manipulation on my part or just, in other words, not creating an asset for something else, but letting the photo speak for itself. Yeah. And it was then that I sort of took seriously learning how to expose things correctly, how to light things. And I thought to myself, well, gee, if a photograph allows me to manipulate light itself, right? I get to set up lighting, I get to find light and use the actual photons to make my painting instead of interpreting light through oil or acrylic. And so I, I approach photographs very much like paintings. Um, I see them that way. I'm not... Aside from a few projects, I'm not much of a documentarian. Um, that's changed with time, but I'm a control freak and I build worlds, <laughs> right? So um, 
yeah. So that's that's sort of where where it got started with me, and it's never let up ever since. I, I'm a little bit of a control freak too when it comes to the audio. It's like, look, man, this is this is what I'm going for. The, these these are the yeah. goals I have in mind. Don't <laughs> don't don't screw it up. Just 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 get it right. Well, just get it right. This is why I could never be a wedding photographer. I, you know, everyone, everyone who's a photographer has done weddings, but you know, the stressful thing is that like you, you miss the key moments, the kiss, uh, you know, the first dance or whatever these key moments are. If you miss it, oh no, there's no going back. You can't create it. Uh, but in my field, I can sort of I can work to create sort of a vision that's in my head. Uh, of course, often now in collaboration with a client. But, um, you know, we get all day to photograph maybe eight, to perfect maybe eight photographs, you know, in a fashion spread or whatever, or, you know, half a day to do a cover story or something. And, you know, you get five images out of that max. So it's a process I really like being in control of. I, yeah, I don't like leaving much up to um, chance. Yeah. There's, there's a bit of that, but not, not much. <laughs> Did so in looking back and in, into like some of the early points in like maybe photography, I think of having that school picture taken. I, I know that I look at, you know, <laughs> some of those pictures like, you know, people get excited for picture day. Me now as an adult. Yes. Me then not so much. It's like, oh, God, I got to get my hair braided except when I had hair or uh, these glasses. I got to clean my glasses. You know, having glasses, they're always not 100 percent clean. What what did you like or dislike about having your picture taken as a youngster? I, I, did, I didn't like it. Uh, I didn't like it at all. We would go, my family would do trips to Olin Mills. Do you remember? Uh, there was a like a old school photo studio that like family, I don't know. It's a very like white family thing to do, I think. Like it's very <laughs> like gr granola. Like you go and it, it having the corner, it would say Olin Mills written in like gold and the it, very, if you look at all those like dorky family photos from the eighties of like people looking stupid, those are all like taken at Olin Mills. There's like family around, you know, the very standard photos. So we would go do this on top of like school photos, right? So there, yeah. then there were school photos, but then we would not only take the yearly family photo, but then there'd be Christmas photos. They'd pull down a little backdrop that had like a painted fireplace, but they'd maybe wheel over like a real Christmas tree. I remember liking the smell of the um, Polaroid. They would do these polar old timey Polaroids where you peel off the back and the fixer had a certain smell to it. I now know it's fixer, but I remember liking the smell at the mall Santa Claus when they pulled the Polaroid down. I hated getting my picture taken. I still do. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I think I, I, I know how to make myself look okay in a photograph, but I did choose a career path where I'd be behind the camera. <laughs> and in high school, explicitly so, I always had I always carried a camera with me in high school, and more than that, I carried around this VHS camcorder, like a full VHS put inside of it from 1988. It was this thing was like I don't know, it was like big, and you had to put it on your shoulders. And by the time I was using it in the late 90s, you had to plug it in to power it because they didn't make batteries for it. So I was the kid in high school. I just carried this thing around. Playing everyone and photographing everyone, so I was, I did my best to keep myself out of the photographs. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's funny. Uh, I I go back to, like I I think I was a I was a freshman in like 1999, so right there, like you know, high school freshman, and I remember having this really crappy recorder. I don't know how I got it, and it, it had tapes. It wasn't like an SD card, obviously. Everything is digital now, right? So it had tapes, mm -hmm. and. 
I remember walking up to people, and this is really going to set the stage for you and show my geeky and dorkiness. I used to talk about myself in the third person, a la The Rock, because I was really into The Rock at the time. <laughs> and I was thinking 99, I remember it. I would do these really short, brief sort of interviews, carrying this around, putting a mic on people's face because um, I went to city. So, you know, at the time, like pretty much a lot of people, it was a fair amount of turnover due to academics. People would get bad grades and have to transfer out. So I'm like, let me try to get connections with these people real quick. And it was a version of me <laughs> proto podcasting, you know, early, early, early on. <laughs> that's so fascinating to me. It's interesting how like, those kind of things will show up. I, I like from the past, you, you look back and you say, Oh, that's, that's like a through line, right? Like, like the proto podcast, or I was talking to a friend of mine who I still collaborate with to this day. And this is like maybe five years ago, I, I had a gig out in LA. I wasn't living there yet. And we're going for a walk. And I, I had, I, I was reminiscing on all these old photos. I took we, her and I did together back in like 2007, 2008. And I was like, who knew, you know, all these years later, I'd be photographing like teeny boppers for like Girls Life magazine and doing like t teenage Disney stars, right? Like cover shoots. And she looked at me, she's like, oh, I could have guessed that the color palettes you were using when we photographed are really bright and vibrant. It makes sense to me. You don't see it. And <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I do see it. Yeah, maybe there's a, maybe there is a, you know, you have your. I don't know inclinations. I guess no. I, I dig it. I dig it. And I'm I'm going. I'm immediately when you said that, I was like I was thinking of either what is it? Uh, I remember the magazine you had like what right on it and like Tiger Beat. I don't know why that popped in my head as soon as you mentioned that. I my, I have had work in Tiger Beat, <laughs> which is <laughs> funny. Like they buy they buy um you know I, I spent maybe eleven years or so. Um, I'm I'm always been freelance, right? But like, yeah. I, so one of my biggest clients for for like eleven years or even more was Girls Life magazine, uh, based in Baltimore, but we shoot nationally. It's a national magazine, and I really cut my teeth there, developed my style there, and um, would not be the photographer I am today with, without my stint there. Um, although we don't work together very often now, but um, yeah, I, so I would photograph all these like Disney stars and stuff with the cover, and you know Zendaya and those people like not the name drop too many people but uh then tiger beat would then hit me up after those issues came out and said <laughs> hey can we purchase you know license these images for you know our next issue or whatever so over the years and while not hired directly by team or tiger beat or whatever it's called i've definitely had photos like appear in those like cut out montages on the covers nice it's just a weird it's a weird thing to see your work in that context <laughs> So, so since we're since we're talking about, it, I think it'd be uh, apt to talk about this. Um, talk about your describe your first like paid project. You know, working in freelance. You know, sort of that. I oh. guess that that's that first maybe paid gig. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's a that's a big one. That's the one you don't forget. You know. So tell me about that. It. I, okay. So I started reaching out to sort of clients, quote unquote, quote in like college, right? Yeah. And. It's funny because it's funny you asked this. Cause I was thinking about it the other day because this girl popped up on Facebook. Some like life update. They don't post for years, and then like a life update comes up. And my first paid client ever was a girl named Jamie. She was a dance major at I think Goucher, uh, either Goucher or Towson. It's been so. I, this must have been in like let's say I graduated college in 05. So this must have been like 02 or 03. Um, 
because you're just behind me in high school. I was a freshman in 97. So somewhere in the early 2000s, and I was still shooting film. And I think she got my contact through a mutual friend who I would photograph, my friend Adrian, who was a dancer also, who I'd photograph. She was like sort of a muse of mine for a little bit. I would photograph her all the time for these projects in, in college. And so Jamie hired me to do, I think she's about to graduate or something or some prize. And so we went all around Goucher with a film camera, natural light, just photographing. And I think I, maybe I charged 150 bucks. I was there like all day. Uh, that was my very first gig. It went really well. Um, I, I, I can't say if I look at the photographs now that I'm proud of them. Um, but yes, you ordered prints and everything. And I don't know that I had any clear direction or, you know, shot list or inspo board, none of nothing I do now. I, I was doing then. Uh, so that was the first job. But then very shortly thereafter, my mom's best friend was trying to dip her toes into like the Christian music scene. Yeah. And because her father, her mom, my mom's best friend's father was a pastor. So like they were in that community. And so she had this album out and she sort of hired me to do all the album art and photographs. Wow. And I think I made $200. I think I made $200 or something like that. For, for that amount of work, I should have charged way more. But yeah, those are my first two sort of simultaneous experiences charging for work. Yes. And I think we were talking about that a little bit before we got started, like finding what that midpoint looks like. And, you know, I've done some gigs uh, that have been really interesting that have kind of, hey, let's use the voice. Let's use the hosting capabilities, what have you. But it's not like a de facto doing a podcast. And mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you know, $200, $300, $100, donuts. I've been paid in donuts before for context, you know, <laughs> and you know, it's it, it, for me, it's like, I'm going to get something out of it. That's much more valuable than whatever I'm getting. Cause I'm going to spend the money. I'm going to buy sneakers or whatever. It's going to be something ridiculous, yeah. but um, I'm going to get that experience to say like, you know, kind of talking about, you know, adding something to the portfolio. Like, you know, this was a yeah. client, this was a person that I worked with. And as I kind of build that out, I started looking at, you know, um, in, t in terms of gigs, outside of even doing this work, um, looking at stuff that I've done, whether it's a sponsored series of interviews or um, just, you know, partnering as a ghost podcaster, ghost host for someone. I think I've had like 20 clients and I'm like, oh, wow, this and this is like in the last year and a half. I'm like, oh, OK, this is what this is. I'm growing in this way and I'm seeing like who I want to work with, how I want to work with them and mm -hmm. being able to wedge my sort of control freak because I know what I want to do. And I know the best way to go about it and being able to consult in that way and ultimately putting out good stuff. But yeah, going back, when I look at sort of this journey of doing interviews with folks and having to be connected to other people's schedules and all of that stuff, some of those first, that first like 20 interviews, I was like, I did not have good questions. This scheduling was not great. <laughs> well, this is why I hire a producer for big shoots because I hate the logistics. I, I was thinking, you know, sort of what we were talking about before the before uh, we started rolling was uh, like, I, I, I'm going to get this wrong, but they always say like to do a job, there's three things to consider. Does it pay? If it doesn't pay, does it add to your portfolio? Mm -hmm. If it doesn't add to your portfolio, is it something you're passionate about? So pay yeah. portfolio passion. Mm -hmm. Those are sort of what, like when somebody approaches me to do something that might have, you know, well, if it's not paying well, does it? Can I get portfolio pieces out of it? Then I might say yes. 
well, if I can't get a portfolio piece out of it, is it at least something I'm passionate about helping, you know, maybe I can help out a charity or a community. And so I try to check, you know, when I'm looking at a project, I look at those things. Well, if it's not a high paying project, does it check off any of these two boxes? Rarely does it check off all three, <laughs> but, and, and of course, like, like we said, pricing's an art and, you know, there's a whole negotiation process and trying to figure out where the client's budget's at. Is it worth for me to do it? And weighing all those options, like, yeah. It can be tricky, um, but I'm getting better at it. You know, decades later, I'm getting better at it. <laughs> I like I like the three P's there, though. Um, that's 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 big because you know a lot of times, like you know, I look at this. It's passion that drives this, and more often than not, like, am I really passionate about it? And whatever else that might come along, there are some opportunities that come along that that doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. It's like it pays really well, but does not fit. And I have to move on, but yeah. I, I've worked at, at anywhere from like obviously free on jobs because it's been with a friend or a project that I like to, you know, doing making advertising money at like, you know, 7,500 a day or more, you know, nice. uh, that's rare. I want all of that. <laughs> I want more of that. But, you know, it, it, prices can range depending on, you know, what you're in it for. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I totally feel you with scheduling though. My biggest the most momentous challenge I ever had scheduling uh, my own project was my 100 friends project. And bit, yeah. I mean, that took three and a half years just to photograph 100 of, of people I knew. And, you know, I would do, I would try to do full days of them, you know, so like every 30 minutes I get somebody in the studio, but it still took three years. And you talk about wrangling schedules, people switching, people changing, people wondering when they're going to be photographed. Why wasn't I photographed? And, it's like, uh, it, but it was a fun process, of course. And then, of course, you want to invest, you know, shooting time with those people. And then you're sort of emotionally and mentally fried after talking to some of your closest friends about deep shit all day. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was just a, tr a true blessing, really, to be able to connect with that way. But, like, you know, I spaced these things out, but it took so long just to get everywhere. And I still miss people. I, I eventually had to cut it off. I'm only going to do 100. I missed a bunch of people I love, but maybe the next time I do another hundred or whatever, you all can be in it. But yeah, I, that's, I, for that, I was like, I wish I had money to have hired a producer to just handle that shit for me. Um, yeah. Thankfully I'm at a place where I'm on bigger shoots. I can do that and I don't have to worry about it, but yeah, it's harder for the, the smaller ones. It's not in my nature. I get fussy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to talk about like images and like, like your eye and, and things, the sort and taking from, you know, the background and, and, and being a painter and having that sort of like early experience and conceptualizing and planning out a shoot, like how, how does that like impact, like, you know, having that background and painting, how does that impact how you go about a shoot and ultimately what makes an image compelling? Ooh, that last question. I'm going to hold off on that because we probably talked about that for like six days. Um, <laughs> it, okay, so I, I used to say that my first time peering through a viewfinder of a camera, when I wasn't just taking pictures of friends, like snapshots or whatever, um, really confused me. I didn't know how to frame a shot mm. until a high school teacher of mine, Bernie Zankowitz, said, you know, the viewfinder is no different than a canvas. How would you draw it? How would you, you know, in other words, if I'm looking at a landscape or a group of people, how would I lay that out with a pen or a paper or a, or a pen or a paintbrush on a canvas? How would I frame it? 
and then it clicked. I, you know, I have this movable canvas I can arrange people in, and I don't know. It sounds sounds simple now, saying it, of course, but like at the time, that was sort of mind blowing for me. And so I I look to paintings for all of my all the greats, you know, all the masters. I look to especially for like group shots, um, how to arrange people within a scene. Um, I'm not a big fan of subs subscribing to like stupid rules. I mean, the rule of third is a thing, but like, you know, ultimately trust your gut. But um, when I'm pulling inspiration for a gig, I'm going back to painters. Uh, more and more, I am including photographers I like. Yeah. Um, but in terms of color and stuff, I'm thinking of color blocking. I'm, I'm referencing old paintings often. Um, I'm referencing some of my favorite photographs. Uh, in a way, it comes sort of natural. Um, I think one of the things I consider <clears throat> uh, one of the tools I use, but didn't know I used it, uh, was something my friend Matt Roth said. I brought him in to speak for my studio lighting course in Towson one year. And he says, you know, if you're having trouble figuring out with the photograph, frame your shot from the background forward. In other words, find a very sparse or very clean or interesting or textured sort of surface or room or something. That's your background. Yeah. Then find something to put sort of in between that and find your, your, your foreground. Um, and that's sort of like his steps of building a shot. Uh, but then Joe Giordano also has a very valid way of doing it too, where he, he might find he's a documentarian. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, very talented photojournalist. He um, will find a, a, a well-lit spot, right? Maybe a beam of lights coming through or there's this something or just the lights doing something cool. And he just waits for something to happen in that spot. And then nice. it happens and he takes it. So I sort of, I do a little bit of all of that. Yeah. Um, I'm often crafting my own light, but I, I also try to leave room for finding things. Yeah. I have been, I have been known to change complete course during a shoot and yeah. readjust and say, no, we're not shooting here anymore. The light's doing something cool over there. Um, but more often than not, it's, it's about being observant to those things, about knowing, knowing not only what sort of light you like and you prefer, mm -hmm. um, but also knowing how to make that if you can't get it, um, and then knowing how to see it. So, I mean, photographers are the worst people to invite over to a dinner party. We <laughs> immediately, well, we will notice, whether we say something or not, we will notice your lighting. The first <laughs> thing we think about in entering, in entering any space is the light. I don't, it doesn't get talked about enough. I walk in like right now, I've been bothered this whole time by this bright spot behind me. It's <laughs> terrible. Uh, the light, it's, I'm backlit. It's awful. Uh, I should have arranged this better. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, so, I, so, I, so I, I think that my years of training and painting gave me a bit of an edge in some ways, although uh, the transition was challenging, but like, I do think in terms of painting still, whether that's, you know, I do a lot of like adding texture to images um, by smudging my lens, by putting things in front of my camera, by thinking in these out of the box ways, mm -hmm. just to, for example, create a texture in the final photograph or something. So I don't know if that actually answers it, but that's, that's what no, I got for you. No, it does. It does. <laughs> oh, so, oh, you did ask, sorry. What, what makes it, yeah. The, what makes an image compelling shit? Well, I mean, I think, regardless of genre of photography um whether it's fashion photojournalism family portraits even or snapshots a solid photo sticks with you mm. so 
your eye is going to linger. You may not know why, but you're not going to be able to look away for a period of time. That could be a minute. That could be 30 seconds. That could be, I could sit and stare at it, right? You know, uh, for hours or you keep reapproaching it. But a, a good image, I think, especially in terms of social media these days, if you're scrolling through something, mm-hmm. a good image will stop you. It'll just stop you right there. And I've been stopped by all sorts of images, snapshots of friends hanging out somewhere cool or a really good photojournalistic image. I think all compelling imagery has that in common. Um, I think, you know, what makes a compelling fashion image is different than what makes a compelling photojournalistic image. Um, but ultimately, regardless of genre, yeah, I think yeah, you're, that you linger, that it stays with you. It's sort of like that with good TV too, isn't it? Like yeah. I was talking about this with White Lotus. I know everyone's talking about it. Like a White Lotus left me thinking about it afterwards. And I didn't know what I was thinking about the show as I was first watching it, the first couple episodes or whatever, the first season. I was just like, huh. But then I found myself thinking about it throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Being like, okay, something's happening there. And that for, for me is the mark of any true, truly good art that sticks with you. Like peanut butter in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I like that. I like it. Uh, so I want to, I want to talk about, um, let's see, I want to talk about uh, this, this next question, which part of um, the, an overall project, just macroly, generally speaking here, makes you happiest? Is it the process? Is it the outcome? Which one of, of maybe those two or somewhere within that continuum that makes you, you happiest and why? If it's just a straightforward photograph, in other words, if I'm not painting on it or using it in a painting, if it's just the making of a photograph, I really don't enjoy the post-production work. I don't enjoy retouching. Um, I just want to get the image out there as quickly as possible. Yeah. I do all that stuff, but I, I, I have to, yeah, I hate doing it. Uh, I love, I think I, I think I love every other moment though. I love the, the doing of it. Yeah. Now, I think there are a couple types of photo shoots. Some photo shoots, you sort of know in the process of doing it that you've hit something good. You're like, fuck yeah, I got this thing. I've done something amazing. Other photographs are, are photo shoots. You're just sort of like, okay, you know, this, everything's going fine. It's, it's fine, you know? And then there, you know, but, it's, but like, it's hard, but it's hard to do you're like oh fuck this is hard um and then maybe later you look back and you're like oh this is good and then there's a third type which is sort of like it is what it is i'm going to accept that you know maybe it's e-commerce and it's just a person on white and it can't be creative here you resign yourself it's that um i think all of that's sort of an enjoyable process and let me restate that again because i feel like it wasn't articulate the first type of photo shoot, you know, you've done good in the middle of it. You're like, fuck yeah, great. I'm taking awesome photographs. Look at the screen. These are cool. The other one, you're sort of, it's hard to get through. Everything's breaking. It's not working out. You're unsure about yourself. You're testing out new things. And it's not until later that you look at the images and you're like, oh, I did something there. I really did something there. Okay. I changed my mind. It was a grueling process, but the result was good. And then the other one is just sort of like, it is what it is. I got to go take pictures at this event. And it just, it's whatever the fuck's in front of me, I'm getting paid, that kind of thing. Um, 
now I've lost completely track track of the question. Um, so yeah, I enjoy the process of doing the shoot. Yeah. Um, I enjoy the process of sharing the work. Yeah. I don't enjoy necessarily the planning of the shoot. If it's a test shoot, you're juggling schedules, as we said before, it's a pain in the ass. Um, unless somebody else is doing it for me. I enjoy saying yes to things, <laughs> approving things. I don't enjoy doing it. Um, and I don't necessarily enjoy the post work unless it's a painting or a mixed media thing. Yep. Then I don't like anything else except for the process of manipulating, feeling the material, um, working with the paint. Um, that's the best part of that process. So that's a long way of saying I enjoy most of the process, like except for those few things. Thank you. Yeah, the, uh, in, in doing this, this this is actually the best part for me. You know, actually having the conversation, not the back and forth and the scheduling. Not it's the not the it's not the editing. <laughs> I, I, I send it to someone else. <laughs> I send it to my guy. But um, but yeah, I, I, even even coming up with some of the questions, and you know, I, I put some work into preparing, whether it's looking at old interviews, reading the, the bio, trying to come up with some questions mm -hmm. that you know, we'll, we'll catch a person saying, I've never been asked that before, or, oh, that's an interesting question, or, you know, or I think being able to, you know, kind of go against sort of that script and improv a bit in terms of like, all right, the, the conversation is going in this direction. That's where actually I, I feel like, you know, my, my where my strong suit is at. Like, I asked this question mm -hmm. on occasion, and, and, and I know I asked someone this recently, if you only had like one hour in the day, to do your work, whatever it is, your creative work, whatever it is, what's the thing that you're doing? And, you know, that, that, that person oh, was God. just like, I'm going to do this, you know, I, I'm probably going to like paint or, you know, an air painter. And me, I was just like, I'm probably going to try to do a podcast. I'm not going to try to do anything else. I'm not going to come up with questions. I'm like, all right, I got an hour. I'm going to riff and we'll see what we get. Yeah. Well, those are some of my favorite, like, you know, photographers do test shoots for multiple reasons. One of my favorite things to do is, to come into the studio, I'm usually a highly planned individual, right? As I told you, mm -hmm. and many test shoots, I have a specific idea of what we're doing, right? I've collaborated with the team. We're all working together. We know what we're doing, but there are other test shoots where I just sort of like to embrace my anxiety and say, I'm not going to plan anything here. I might have the hairstylist doing something maybe, or maybe I say, Hey, just bring some clothes and oh. I'll respond to it in some way creatively. And just sort of jive on set and see what comes together and test and make things up. Um, yeah, I, I did that recently with uh, my friend Lauren. I had uh, a couple months back sort of a scant idea of doing something, but I was like, I was like holding the camera and holding paper in front of it and like <laughs> smudging the shit on my lens and doing weird color stuff and like purposely making quote unquote bad lighting to see what would happen. Yeah. And I, I was just, you know, yeah, I was just trying to play and see what see what came with it, and that that process can be a lot of fun. It's like seeing where it takes you, where the work takes you, and then you get then you get that joyful moment on any shoot when you see that what you're doing, whether it's spontaneous or planned, is working. And you go back. Now mm -hmm. I'm on these big shoots, and you're shooting to a computer screen, right? I'm at, not to the back of the camera, so I see everything coming on a big screen. And it's those moments where you take a few shots, you're testing the, the light, you're seeing what's going on. Maybe the hair and makeup, they're zhuzhing the, everything and hands are coming in. But then you take the one shot and you look at the screen 
and you're like, yes, it's come together. All, all of our efforts and every department on set has come together and it looks good. Yeah. I've had the opposite too, where it's like, well, this is not working and now we have to adjust and what do we do? And that's creative problem solving and that's fun too. But it's a beautiful moment when from the beginning it's working. Yeah. I love that. I, I agree with that. Um, you know, as I try to stretch sort of those boundaries and, and, and keep things very interesting, but knowing like where I'm solid, you know, like what is working. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I go and it's like, this is going to blow up. Come watch me bomb. I'll say <laughs> things like that. And, and then eventually it, it, I find my way. I did this in this talk and I'm like, I never really know how to start some of these things, but eventually I find my way. And, and that's the thing I like to do. Like, it's just something about that of traversing, whether it's through conversation, whether it's through, I think, uh, the, the process of conversation or presenting that you're able to find where you're going. And sometimes the stuff that's leading up to it isn't as bad as one might think. And I think like, I'm not making yeah. any sense, but it's like, no, 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 this is making sense. This is, this is kind of getting there. I think it's about embracing the process, right? Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, so when I moved out to LA, um, I got my first really big advertising campaign shoot um, with Champion Clothing, and big money's involved. It's last minute they're pulling me in. I, I'm one. I'm one component of a much larger production with several. Like there was a commercial with Saweetie being filmed. There was a tie-in with Cobra Kai. There's two or three photographers doing other ad things. And I'm doing, I have a small crew and doing my bit. It's more money than I ever got paid on a shoot. It's more money than I had the budget and allocate. And I start sort of freaking out a little bit. Their direction's unclear. It's all last minute. I'm like waiting for like, you know, I'm, I'm handling money in like the the 20,000s of dollars to try to pay for equipment and figure things out and logistics. And I'm like, fuck, my mind's going to break. <laughs> And I'm nervous about the execution. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And I, I, I had to sit down and say, like, relax. They are hiring you because they like what you do. Mm -hmm. So just do what you do, right? Yeah. And part of that is the process, right? So I got on set. And part of that for me is adaptability. And we found that because we were sort of a last-minute add-on to this larger production, I mean, we're talking the call sheet with like 200 people on it, like it, very ineffective. <laughs> and the film crews kept changing locations and stuff, flipping the script and things were changing. So I had to adapt. I thought I was shooting at A, B and C when in reality, nope, I, had, I couldn't shoot an A, I couldn't shoot a B, couldn't shoot a C. So then I had to find locations on the fly and my team had to adapt, figure out the lighting. And I just, you know, it, I just I just said stop thinking about it. Just do what you what do you do on a test shoot? What do mm -hmm. you do on a smaller shoot? Forget the budget, forget the money, forget the three hundred other people all around you. Yeah. And just do what you do. And they, they were happy about it. The images turned out great. I was happy with it. And I, I would love to do a shoot like that every month. You know, it'd be great. Be great for my wallet. Be great for my <laughs> pride. Uh, but, <laughs> but that's, that's but, true. But you know though. what I mean. Yeah. Like it's like you got to embrace that process. You got to embrace your way of doing things. It's hard to as an artist. It's, it's, we're it's often told, "No, this is the way to do it." It's very, it's very true. And like you know, being in this spot where we and we talked about this a little before we got started of where where does this fit? 
you know, this sort of storytelling. I've heard it called many things as far as like storytelling, anthropology, uh, uh, archival work, all of this different stuff. But, you know, I approach it, I, at least I aspire to approach it like like an artist. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's what I run into. And it's always that sort of, I don't know, I don't know. But like you said there, it's like, well, just do the thing you know. Do, do what you know how to do. Yeah. And, you know, especially if you're working with a client, um, which, you know, I'm doing more of that recently, that they hire you for a reason, if that's if that's what you're doing. You know what I mean? There are some people that's that it, that's it. Yeah. we just need someone to fill a seat. And other times it's like, we need, you know, this person, we need Sean Scheidt, we need Rob Lee to to do this particular thing with their particular approach. Yeah, I 100%, 100% agree. Yeah. So I got one more last real question. And then I got those rapid fire questions, okay. which I've been adding to oh. as we've been talking. So just oh, so you know. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how do you how do you stay up to date, you know, with the current trends and techniques within like fashion, lifestyle photography within that industry? Like, you know, what is it? Is it like, you know, uh, uh, Aperture Weekly or something like what is your, how do you stay up to date? <laughs> it's far more lowbrow than that. It's um, uh, Instagram. Um, TikTok. No, it's, uh, no, it, it's a few things I would say it's, um, so unless I'm shooting a very intimate portrait, my work is not done in a vacuum. Mm. And if we talk about like scheduling, like we did earlier, this is why it's so hard to do even a test shoot for myself sometimes, because my work requires hair, makeup, wardrobe, uh, models. Right. Yeah. And so I, I try to trust the experts in, in each department. So a makeup artist is going to sort of know where sort of where makeup is going, right? Wardrobe is going to know. So I make sure that whatever concepts we're doing, if it's not for a paid client, if it's just a test shoot or whatever, that we are trying to stay the current in everyone's industry, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we want, I, I want to trust, I'm going to trust the fashion stylist to tell me sort of where fashion is trending and then we'll do something to that end. Same thing for the makeup, hair, whatever. For my own work and stylistically, I, I think I'm at the point now for many years where I've ha- I developed my own style, but I'm always sort of perfecting that. Uh, but it's a balance because you don't want to blend in. I think, so right now the hot thing in photography is sort of not perfect light and film photography a lot of portrait a lot of um but the one thing i'm noticing is and there's many talented photographers shooting this way but the one thing i do notice that the look is getting ubiquitous as such that like you could put up five different covers shot in that style and i'm i'm not sure i could tell you who shot who like who shot what because it looks sort of all the same it's just all sort of the same style so i think my goal has always been to not have my work be blend to have my voice my artist hand in my work um and it not just blend in to that so one it's sort of watching out for current trends but two it means maybe incorporating some of that mm-hmm. but not just following that yeah um so it might mean for example that like when when the urban outfitters american apparel terry richardson that guy but that (laughs) hard light yeah single light shot like that was a big style in like you know 2008 2007 whatever 
while I did some of that kind of shooting, I didn't do a lot of it. Yeah. I was sort of cl clients were hiring that, but I was not getting hired for that style. You know, I just take partaking because I knew that that was going to be a trend that was going to play itself out eventually. So I think the balance is trying to find a style that can sort of be timeless. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've achieved it yet, but uh, I, and certainly my style has taken a major shift since moving to Los Angeles, uh, I think for the better. Um, but ultimately it's about constantly shooting. It's about testing, test, 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 get together with your friends, get together with people who, um, like I was just telling a, a, a very talented young photographer I'm, I'm working with, um, Hey, I think your maybe your fashion can be a little bit more up to date. Mm -hmm. And as of yet, they haven't been using, they, they were not using any fashion stylists. Well, that's why, right? So like you as a consumer, you're just on the mm -hmm. tail end of, by the time you see something in the store, that trend's on its way out, right? Yeah. So by the time it makes it to your photo shoot and then to Instagram or, or your portfolio, well, that's out of date. So they started, they're going to start working with fashion designers and fashion stylists to sort of make sure that that's cutting edge. So it's just about listening and watching. Yeah. I mean, I, I try, I watch a lot of photographers work, but I, you know, I try not to, especially if I've not been working for a while, I don't want to feel down about myself. So I try not to look too much, but it's a balance, I guess. I think yeah. that answers it. No, I, that, I, that's... Um, yeah, it's, but like, I think ultimately it's, it's about shooting and doing so with intention on a regular basis. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And, you know, as I was telling you about a, a little bit about how much stuff I've done in the last year, I'm constantly working on the stuff and, you know, I have people that hit me in the DMs. Hey, why don't you do a video thing? Or why don't you do this sort of thing? And so on. I was like, oh, I really want to do that. That's not really what I'm doing. And going to the trend thing that you were saying there, someone else is already doing that. Do you want to see me do the thing that they're doing? Or do you want to see me do what I'm doing? Yeah. And you know, I, it, it's something I remember. Uh, I'm, I remember this thing from Tarantino and he was talking about, I believe he's talking about, um, I'm, I'm blanking on the director. It may, I think it was David Fincher maybe. And he was talking about, no, it was Sodenberg actually. He was like, this guy technically a lot better than me. However, he doesn't write a lot of his stuff at a certain point. And I think that's why he kind of left the mainstream Hollywood stuff. And he's like somewhere along the line, yeah. he lost his sort of voice because he's like shooting someone else's words. He's like, I'm doing both. I'm writing and directing. And that's a lot of work that goes into it. And that's that's something that really stuck with me. It's like I rather and I get kind of get hooked by what can I do? What really fits and speaks to me going back to the three P's you mentioned and that that last thing, that sort of passion, like what am I getting out of this? If it was just do this for a check. I could get connected with some radio station or some like storytelling group or what have you. I don't really want to do this. It's like, let's, let's partner. That's more interesting to me. That's, that's, that's something that's a little more aligned with what, what my values are. But I think when those sort of trends are there, they, you know, as you said, they, they're, they're on their way out as soon as you see them, you know, and even mm -hmm. doing a lot of these sort of interviews, you know, I'm I'm trying to get better at kind of time stamping when I do the interviews, but I try to put them out when I think they make sense. Like if someone has something coming up, yeah. like they have a big exhibit coming up or something or a show or whatever. Sure, I'll move it to the forefront, but I already have an intention in mind of this interview fits this mm -hmm. date. This interview fits within this batch. That, that's at least that's my thing. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I think it's important to not, you know, I, I say all this stuff, like follow all this thing, but on the other hand, I want to make note that it's like, you've got to chase your own course. You got to do your own thing. Don't, tr don't chase, at least for photography, don't chase visual trends. Um, perfect your craft and tell your stories. Uh, it's so I'm going to give a shout out to Sean Hubbard here. Uh, he's a great photographer in Baltimore, good friend of mine and uh, really talented guy. But I, he spoke again to one of my uh, to one of my classes. And, you know, so he's one of the major team photographers for the Ravens as well. And he said, you know, somebody asked him about getting into this industry and he's like, well, don't get into this sports photography industry because you like sports. Yeah. In other words, don't try to photograph for the Ravens because you love the Ravens. Do it because you love storytelling and you love making images. Because what makes his work of the Ravens so astoundingly good is that I don't give a, I don't give a shit about football. I don't know football. I'm not a clearly look at me. Not a sports guy. Uh, <laughs> but I love. But I. But I relate to and love his images. Yeah. They hold me there. They captivate me because he's telling the human story of the struggle, of the competition, of people doing what they're really superior at doing. And that makes good images. So his point is like, find what you love. Like if you're, if you're a storyteller, visual storyteller, do that to the best you can. It's like, I never made the switch. Every photographer started switching over to video at some point. I like, or, or learning video too. I have no interest in learning video. If a client wants video on a shoot, we can, wrap that into production and hire somebody who's good at that. Yeah. I'm, I'm good at stills. That's what I do. Um, and I know many photo reps and con consultants right now, if they hear this are rolling their eyes at me because I'm so resistant to learning all this stuff, <laughs> but I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to do one thing. Well, I want to do it really well. And I want to chase that. I, there are plenty of people who are good videographers and filmmakers and I can bring them on board. And I have for shoots. And nobody's, nobody's cared, and it's fine. Um, I, I mean, I have learned how to make a pretty de decent TikTok video, but that's about as far as I'll go. <laughs> that's good. So yeah. that's kind of the, the the wrap of the real questions there. So if you will, I got to hit you with these uh, these rapid fire questions. Um, don't overthink them. Yeah, man, let's get into it. I'm excited. It's like a game show. I love it. <laughs> so don't overthink them. Brevity is key here. I'm going to start off with the softball. Okay, okay. Um, I think I gave Joe the same questions. I've interviewed Joe before, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. I love Joe. Um, favorite fictional photographer? Oh, fictional photographer. Um, who's that guy from the movie Pecker? Uh, didn't Elijah Wood play him in the John Waters movie? That sounds about right, actually. That's a good, that's a good reference. That's a good reference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've seen I'll, the movie once. That's, a, that's the best I got for it. <laughs> I always try to see if someone's going to do Peter Parker. No one does Peter Parker. I, I like it. I that would, by the way, as I said, Pecker, Peter Parker came to mind. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not really a Spider-Man guy. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, most common, most common mispronunciation of your name of your last name. <laughs> <laughs> shit, shit, shit. Followed closely by Schmidt. Because people see SCH and are too lazy to read the rest of the letters. That's why I asked you beforehand. <laughs> is I, I literally went yeah. to YouTube how to pronunciate this name, and it gave me three different terrible versions that were different from what you told me. <laughs> <laughs> well, my first name is Sean, right? It's spelled S E A N, which apparently, despite the existence of Sean Connery, 
um, <laughs> nobody can also seem to pronounce. So growing up, it was a lot of scene shit as, as, a, as an acronym so, or as a name or That's... like, uh, it was rough. It's rough out there. At least you didn't make it to like a production company just out of spite. You're like, uh, this scene shit. Like, well, my first MySpace name was Load of Sh Load of Shite. Nice. Which is sort of playing on the fact that they called me Sean Shit. So, <laughs> um, what is the the first thing that you do in the morning and the last thing that you do at night, generally speaking? Uh, oh, so first thing in the morning, coffee. Last thing at night. Uh, last thing at night. Last thing at night. Um, pray <laughs> you're based in la what la food does not hold up when compared to the baltimore version of it crab cakes don't eat a fucking single crab cake in los angeles <laughs> anywhere else these these are not crab cakes they are awful la you have so many other things going for you stop trying to make crab cakes not gonna work that's great as, as, as a true marylander <laughs> right that is that yes it's god it sucks I will not eat one. They're awful. I've had, I've had, I've been disappointed too many times. And they all, and here's how I know they're going to be bad. If they have the words Maryland crab cake in front of them. Oh, it's never no. a Maryland crab cake. Doesn't quite work. Doesn't quite hold up. Always a, dis always a disappointment. <laughs> I, I, I think I did an interview. I did an interview with Spike Jurdy a while back and uh, he had some smoke for the Louisiana crab cakes. He's like, they're the same crab. They just don't know how to prepare them. I was like, oh, I was like, oh. <laughs> Uh, that's a controversial opinion, I would suspect. <laughs> a little smoky there, I see, you know? Okay, this is the last well, one I got for the you. credentials to have it, I suppose. Absolutely. Uh, so this is the last one. Um, if you could photograph any historical figure in the latest fashion trends, who would it be? What would it be wearing? Oh, God. I saved um, a really good one for you there, I think. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, I, you know, I'm going to caveat this first before I answer. I'm going to say that despite photographing fashion, for me, I don't care about the clothes. I only care about the clothes insofar as they help me tell a story. Okay. Right. So I'm not as knowledgeable as most people tend to assume about fashion. Um, I know what I like, and the wardrobe stylist does all that stuff. Um, that said, so I have a I love. I have the soul of like a 96 year old person at heart. You know, I'm like big fan of like the golden girls, Dick Van Dyke, the Andrews <laughs> sisters, old Hollywood, Danny Kay, Bing Crosby. I, you know, if I could resurrect any of Lucille ball, if I could resurrect any of those folks, you know, um, Dick Van Dyke still with us, thank God. But like I can get him and I can get Betty white, any of these classic Hollywood figures and maybe somehow arrange to have them in like, some kind of more like urban LA streetwear. Yeah. Like, I think that'd be kind of, that'd be kind of killer. But if I can't, I would just love to photograph them. I've been trying, I've been mailing letters to Dick Van Dyke's PR person forever in hopes to just get in there and take a portrait. Hasn't worked yet, but <laughs> I w I'm going to keep trying. Yeah. I'm going to keep trying. He's like, he's like, what is he? Like 99 now or something. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. Just, just trip over an ottoman when you get there though. It's a <laughs> good deep cut. You love that. Show. I'm glad you like that show. Good. I, you know, it's a rite of passage in LA to have seen Dick Van Dyke on the street and I have not seen him yet. And so I, I don't have my true Angelino card until I go to a Jeff Goldblum show or uh, see Dick Van Dyke. Uh, Jeff Goldblum too. He's a good example of this classic Hollywood sort of guy yeah. who dresses immaculately. 
I want to be Jeff Goldblum when I grow up visually. <laughs> Stunning, his clothes. I love every style shoot he does. I just I just want to be Jeff Goldblum. Nice. Yeah, uh, I would I would I would love to. I, I can't think of any any like celebrity that falls in mind for me, but uh, I would love to have someone dress in like vintage Fubu because I think it'd be hilarious, Ooh. like LL Cool yeah. J style from like the '90s with the hat and the goggle, with the whole thing. That's what I'm yes. looking for. I'm perpetually in 1996. That would be cool. <laughs> I mean, I just did a '90s inspired shoot. And that was a lot of fun because, like, you know, I see these, like, Gen Zers wearing these things that, like, I just am embarrassed to have worn at the time. I look back on these photos. I'm like, why? And now it's coming back. And I'm like, with a little tweaks, I'm like, okay, I, I guess I can see it. Yeah. I guess, but I'm still not letting go of my, my fitted jeans. It's not happening. I'm not moving back. I'm not moving backwards. No, I don't need any boss jeans or Jankos. Not doing it. Jankos. I mean, we used to wear Jabos and like white. It's very cash money oriented. I'll leave that for a later yeah. podcast at a later date. But um, <laughs> I want to. I want to thank you for being on this podcast, and I want to invite and encourage you to tell the listeners where they can check you out. All things Sean Shite. The floor is yours. Cool, man. I, I want to thank you again. Like I, I, I thought maybe you didn't know I moved to Los Angeles and I was like, Oh, does this exclude me? Cause I'm not in Baltimore anymore, but <laughs> I, I'm so happy to do it. Um, you can find me, um, my Instagram, Sean Scheidt photography. There's a little underscore between all those words. Uh, Sean S E A N Scheidt S C H E I D T I before E except in Scheidt, um, on Instagram, uh, Sean uh, is the website Sean Shite on TikTok? Yada yada yada. Just type in Sean Shite, you'll get me. Um, yeah, if you like what you see, leave me a note, uh, give me a follow, that sort of thing. Um, I need all the work I can get. I'm reestablishing myself in LA. <laughs> there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Sean Shite for coming on to the podcast, and I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, photography, fashion photography, just, just people doing great things in and around your neck of the woods. You just got to look for them.